Well, amen. He is good, amen. I want to say uh, this morning we are in the last week of our series, Chasing Carrots. And I pray that the last four weeks, this being the fifth week, has been an encouragement and a challenge and a strengthening to your faith. Um, I know that in preparing these messages and going over different content and material, um, it has greatly encouraged me to refocus, to ask myself those tough questions about motivations, about why do I pursue the things I pursue, what's the goal, what's the point, um, is it for me and that I would be glorified and about self, or is it about him and about his church and about his word? And so I pray that as we've gone through these last four weeks, we've talked about a lot of different topics. Um, if you've missed any of the series so far, you can get those online, obviously on our website or on our app. But I pray that you would go back, watch those that you missed, um, and I pray that, again, it would be a strengthening to your faith. And so before we get into this morning, uh, a couple things I want to share uh, that I, I probably should have shared a few minutes ago and that's all I kind of forgot. Um, first and foremost, uh, we have a very important birthday um, to celebrate today. And I know what you're thinking. It's not mine, okay? That's December 27th. If you want to write that down, just make a little notation there somewhere. I like sweet, ap- or sweet potato pie. I like... Uh, you know, different vacation packages. So just think about those things, pray about those things in the coming year. Um, I like to go up north. It's fun. So anyway, that's not about me. It's about this person. But um, we are so excited. Uh, Milo Brown is here today, and he's celebrating his birthday. And so we want to say happy birthday to Milo. Yes. I asked him this morning if he was 21. I said, you turned 21 this year? And he said, yeah, only add like 80 to that. So yeah. But no, we are so thankful to have Milo with us and celebrate his birthday with him and have the family here. And so I um, also want to let you know, um, next week we are excited. Uh, we have a couple individuals that are desiring to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. And so they want to do that next week. And so we're going to have a couple people be baptized next week. And so I'm saying that because if there's anyone here that has never been baptized following salvation, you've never made that choice, um, you can make that decision today. And you won't be doing it alone. You already know there's a couple people that are going to be doing it next week. So you'll have some support there. Um, But if you're interested at all in that, please see me after service. I would love to talk to you more about that and let you know what that means, what baptism is, and primarily what it's not. And then make sure you're comfortable with that and know what you're doing as far as moving forward. Um, also want to let you know, uh, just a little reminder about the Revelation Wellness uh, study that's starting up um, February 1st, I believe is the date of that. Yep, here. Um, and so if you have any questions on that, if you signed up for that um, and you did not either pay the money for your book or you need to get questions about that, uh, please see Renee Corbett. She can give you more information on that. All right. So a couple of things I wanted to make sure we address before we got too far into the message this morning. Um, again, this is the last one in our series. And I know what you're thinking. What's next? Like, what's after this? That's a great question. I'm really glad you asked. Next week, you don't want to miss this. Not only are we celebrate with those that are being baptized, but we're going to be talking about dessert cart Christianity. Dessert cart Christianity. And so it's just going to be kind of a one-week message. Um, you don't want to miss it. I'm really excited about this. So I've kind of been putting some things on paper the Lord's been kind of encouraging me with. Um, I want to be a blessing. And so I want to be an encouragement to you. We're going to talk about what does that look like to live a dessert, dessert cart Christianity. And so we're excited for that. So don't miss out on that. This morning, however, we're diving into our last topic in this series. And we've been talking about the pursuit of fame, the pursuit of money and stuff, 
right? The, pers- the pursuit of approval, that, that we live sometimes with this pursuit to get other people to approve of us. And that means that sometimes we'll even deny the very truths in God's word so that we don't offend someone and they will keep liking us and accepting us and approving of us, even though it means we're basically making them an idol in our lives. We talked about perfection, that so many of us are consumed with this pursuit of perfection. If I can't get it perfect, I don't even try. I'm not even going to try it. Uh, Some of us, we think we're perfect. We think we got it all figured out. We think we got it pretty well put together. And so we actually not only expect perfection of ourselves, which we're not, but we also expect perfection of others. And if you don't match what I think is perfection, then in a subtle way, or maybe even with humor, I might make little digs and little comments to try to get you to know, I know you're not perfect. And I'm going to make sure you know that I'm perfect and you need to somehow rise up to my level of perfection if we're going to be friends. And if not, I'm just going to keep trying to give these subtle jabs. And so we talked about a lot of things over the last many weeks. This morning, we're going to be talking about the pursuit of comfort. The pursuit of comfort. A lot of Christians, a lot of believers spend more time thinking, planning, and even envisioning how they are going to get this or that thing in this world, in this life, so that I'll be happy, so that I'll be content. I'm not against goals. I'm all for goals. But there's been a movement, even in Christianity, where we've adopted some very non-biblical ways of thinking, where we've consumed ourselves with this pursuit of the stuff, And we'll put it on boards, and we'll put it up in front of our houses, and we'll put it up in our rooms, and that's going to make me happy. If I could just get that, then I'll be happy. I'm not saying we don't have goals and drive and dreams, and that's fine. We should have those things. That's good. But, man, what's our number one pursuit? Is our pursuit Christ and a closer relationship with him and a deeper understanding of his word and growing in the wisdom of his knowledge and his truth and his grace? Or do I just envision how to make my life as comfortable as possible so I can then I'll be happy. And as we've said all along, this happiness, this contentment that we chase, that we pursue, those things are not bad in and of themselves. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have stuff. If God has blessed you with that because you've worked hard for it, praise God for it. It's a blessing. We can enjoy those things. But it's the pursuit of those things. It's when the trajectory of my heart changes from a focus on God and his will for me and a love for others to self. And what's going to make me happy? What's going to make me content? What's going to give me the most joy? We start shifting our attention away from those things. Again, Is there anything wrong with being comfortable or having a day where you just relax and take it easy? No. But if the pursuit of our lives, if the emphasis of our lives is, I want to be as comfortable as possible, I'm not risking anything for Jesus. And I actually believe that God would have me be comfortable first, and he's all about me and my comfort. You see, some people believe this, that God is more concerned with your happiness and your comfort than your character and your Christ-likeness. That he wants you just happy and comfortable and he's that genie from Aladdin that as long as you wish it, he'll do it and it's all about you. I mean, you're really the center of attention, really. In the universe, it's you. And God is consumed with as long as you're having a good day, as long as you're happy. That's really God's whole point. See, when we say it that way, when we walk it out that way, many of us know that just sounds silly. But so many of us live as though that's true. And we make ourselves the center of our universe. 
I want to start with a, a passage here in 1 John. It's going to kind of set the stage for us. So 1 John in the New Testament, chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, in the seats here, there are some Bibles provided. If you're using one of those, you can just turn to page 859. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can go to page 859. 1 John, chapter 2. We want to set the stage with what we're going to be talking about. And really, this is also um, maybe a good summary verse of the series so far and what we've dove into over the last many weeks. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but I'm just going to ask, can we just pray and, and ask God to affirm this in our hearts and minds? Can we pray and ask God, God, give me an openness to you this morning? Um, as we've said all along, maybe one of the topics we talk about isn't really going to hit where you're at right now. Maybe this isn't something that's a pull for you, but maybe you, you can be encouragement and a blessing to somebody that's maybe battling with these things. And so maybe you would just say, God, give me wisdom in whatever way you want to apply this this morning. Help me to just be, be ready and willing to receive. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as, we, as we've gone through this morning so far, uh, we've worshipped you, Lord. We've lifted your name up in song and praise. We've given an offering towards you and your work here and globally. Lord, and everything we've done to this point, Lord, is for you. And so, Father, I pray that as we move into this time of getting in your word, uh, we want to be attentive to your word. This is the foundation of what we know and believe about you and about ourselves in you. Your word is truth. And I pray that we would give all the due diligence and all the attention to your word. Father, that we would be changed and made new this morning. That our hearts would be revived in a freshness with you, in our walk with you. That our minds would be revived and engaged and renewed in the truth of your word. Father, that we would not only be changed here and feel your presence here and be moved into a closer relationship with you here, but when we leave this place, that in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, and in our workplaces that we would desire to live in a way that would reflect your love for us and your love for others. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to ask the tough questions this morning of ourselves as your Holy Spirit works in only the way that you can, just surgically working in our hearts and minds, revealing things to us that maybe need to be addressed, uh, leading us to ask questions of where is my love and what really drives me? What consumes me? What am I all about? And so, Father, only you can help us in these areas, and only your wisdom will help us to make different choices. So, Father, thank you for your grace. Where we've stumbled, thank you for your love. Where we've come up short, that you've offered your salvation to us through Christ, that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Father, everyone in this room has stumbled in some way. We've gotten our eyes off you. We've, we've messed up. We've missed it somewhere. But Father, I'm so thankful that when we know Christ is our Savior, we can never lose our salvation. We never lose that relationship. 
Things that we allow in our lives may hinder it, may distract us from it, but you hold us in your hand and you never let us go. You will never leave us or forsake us. And so I pray that, Father, as we are refreshed this morning in you, that we would know that it's not a a renewing of needing to be saved again, but a renewing of that relationship that we've always had. And so, Father, help us to to evaluate our own lives this morning, to ask those questions, and at the end of it, glorify you. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this verse here, John is writing to the church. So John is writing this letter, and it's one of the most dynamic letters that John writes. I mean, obviously, this is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation, all written by the Apostle John, the same man that sat close to Jesus at the Last Supper, that was so close to him, the Bible says that he was on his bosom. It doesn't mean he was, like, nestled up to him. Okay, we get a really weird image when we think that, okay? But it means he was so close to Jesus that he was just, like, that close friend. It's amazing to me in the Gospel of John, this same man writes, he doesn't give his own name. He doesn't identify himself as the author. He only identifies himself as the one that Jesus loved. And some have suggested, well, that was pretty arrogant of John to be like, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I don't think that's what John meant. I think John understood, as many of us have in our Christian lives, that he was in awe that Jesus would love someone like him. And I think he was saying, I'm just the one that Jesus loves. It's not about me. It's about him. And this same individual writes these words for us. And he says, in such a pointed fashion. Uh, See, John was also very truth and lie, light and dark, right and wrong. There's no gray area when John writes these words to us. And so he tells us very pointedly, love not the world. Now, some have confused this, and they think this means we shouldn't love our neighbors. We shouldn't love the people in the world. That's not what John was saying. John's actually saying, no, don't love the world, the way the world thinks. The things that the world is consumed with and loves, you choose not to love. You have a love, and you have a call that is greater than that. The world here refers to the world's pursuits and desires, the things that those outside of Christ allow to consume their lives. One of these is the pursuit of comfort. The pursuit of comfort, which I think many of us as Americans, we know very well. We understand what it means to be comfortable. And many of us have lived, and we were even taught as kids growing up, that that's the goal of life. Just be as comfortable as possible. Have financial security. Have this, have that. Just make it all about you and the American dream. Get the house and the picket fence and the car and the 1.5, 2.5, whatever 0.5 kids. I don't know what it's supposed to be. I've still yet to meet a 0.5 kid, but I mean, that's what they tell you. Have the vacation home, have the boat, have the cabin, have this, have that. And then, and then you'll be comfortable. And once you're comfortable, now you can enjoy life because you've got all these comforts and this ease. But we have to pause and ask ourselves, if those things are our pursuit, nothing wrong with having those things, but if those are the pursuit of our very lives, if you get up in the morning and you're driven with the pursuit of making your life more comfortable so that you can receive more and gain more and pile more and pile more, and then you'll be comfortable and happy and content, I just want you to pause and ask, is that really God's will for your life? I guess I would say it this way. Do you really think that's all God could possibly want for your life? Or maybe God's will for your life is so much more than that. 
See, we think, oh, but if I amass all this stuff, then I'm really living life. No, no, no. I think God's will for our lives is so much greater than anything we've ever imagined. It's so much greater. So we are tempted in this life by the pursuit of comfort. Now, while we all genuinely need to be comforted at times in this life, we all go through hard times. We all go through difficulties. We all need to be comforted at times. The world offers a counterfeit comfort. We try and, and find it in our finances, in our possessions, in the respect from others. If I can just get people to think I'm somebody, whether in approval or in respect, but it's not genuine. It's not real. It's counterfeit. We are tempted to live as comfortable a life as possible, believing this is also God's plan for us, that he exists to make us comfortable and happy, as I alluded to earlier. This leads us to thinking that God, his word, and his church are there to make us comfortable and never call us to more, to never risk anything for Jesus. Now, I'm going to say that again because I think we need to make that connection. I think we understand it when it comes to God and us. But we think, if we think the goal of our lives is to be as comfortable and as happy as possible, and God exists to do that for me, because, I mean, after all, I let him save me. I let him have a relationship with me. I accepted him. He should at least be all that I want him to be. We do this and we think this way. And then we start thinking, okay, not only is God all about me, his word must be all about me then, right? This is all about me. This is just a big book about how awesome I am. Then we think, oh no, his church must be all about me then. Do you see how we can make that connection? And if we think that way, we actually look at the church in the reverse order and go, okay, I like the church that's all about me then. So what does it look like that the church that's all about you, a church that's all about you, does literally everything you want? It just exists to make you comfortable. All the programs, all the ministries, all the stuff is about you and making you comfortable and making you happy. And you walk into church and you go, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. I don't have to do anything. Now, I should say this. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned that we were going to be talking about this topic this morning. And I said, I hope you guys are holding on. I hope you're ready. I hope you prayed up because this is kind of what I was referring to. And I have to tell you this because this is stuff that God's been convicting me about for a long time. My own view of the church. How I walk into a church. Do I really think the church is for him? And therefore, I should surrender all to him and then therefore give all to his church? Or do I live as though the church exists for me? And this is American church today, if we're being honest. We love consumerism in our country. We love jumping online, right? How many of you love, and it's okay to admit this, I do too, like the whole two-day delivery thing. You like that? How many people love that? You can order something in two days, it's at your door, right? That's amazing. Love that. So often we think those kind of things. We think, well, we read the reviews and we're like, well, I don't know. You ever read the reviews on some of these things? People need to get more, how can I say that tactfully? <laughs> People need more hobbies. Let me say it that way. There you go. They need more to do than just sit online and give reviews. Do you ever read a review and it's like a one star and they start off with, I gave a one star because I couldn't give zero stars or something. There's, or I couldn't give negative stars or whatever. And then you start reading it and it's like, what did you think this product was going to do for you? Like, like they're acting like this thing was supposed to do everything and anything. It was supposed to change their whole life. It's a blender. Like it's not, like it's not anything that great. I mean, what did you think it was going to do? Well, I just can't believe it blended, but it was way slower than my other blender. So we read these things because here's what we have in our culture today. Me first right? 
Why do we love it that we can go to a place, not even get out of our car, pull in a spot, hit a couple buttons, well, boom, look, the food's at our door. We're sitting in a car. Just I did it online on the way here. I didn't have to even get out of my vehicle. Why do we like that so much as Americans? Because it's comfortable. It's all about you. I mean, literally, if you ever order stuff on an app, they try to make you sound like the almost, I mean, we're so glad you're here. What can we do for you? And that's good to be serving to other people. But man, we've created this thing in our culture where it's just, it's all about us. And so many, even believers, followers of Christ have transitioned that mindset to the church. Well, if the church doesn't exist just for me, I, I don't, that's not a church for me. I'm not liking that church. Because we ultimately go backwards and we think that God is all about us. And therefore his word is all about us. So of course his church would be all about us. We start chasing this counterfeit comfort we think that will bring us contentment and happiness. So chasing a counterfeit comfort. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to try to say that through the message a few times. Counterfeit comfort. That's not easy, okay? I went to Bible college. I had to learn how to do this kind of stuff, okay? It's not easy. But I encourage you, you can try to say it to yourself you know, 10 times fast, like counterfeit, comfort, counterfeit. Anyway, okay, move on. I want to look at what does this look like and how, what does this reveal in our lives when we start pursuing this type of comfort? A passage I want to go to, and we're going to look at quite a few verses this morning because obviously, as we've said before, this is about him and his word, and we want to see what God's word says about this. So 2 Corinthians, go over there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you're using, again, one of the Bibles provided, page 815, you can just turn there with us. Page 815. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So when we are chasing a counterfeit comfort, what does that reveal to us? What can we, how can we gauge this and see what does it tell us about our lives? Well, the first thing it tells us is it reveals a spiritual shallowness. When we chase a counterfeit comfort, it reveals a spiritual shallowness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. So it says this, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. One of my all-time favorite passages in this letter. For the love of Christ constrains us. Let's look at it again. Because we thus judge. He's saying, we need to understand this. We need to make this determination. If one died for all, then we're all dead. We know who that one that died for all was. That's Christ. And that if he died for all, then they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. When we chase this idea of, of counterfeit comfort or self over surrender to Christ, we are living a shallow Christianity. When I make my Christian walk more about what I get out of it and how I can be benefited and comforted and how comfortable my life can be and how God wants that, we live this shallow Christianity. We're not living the full depth of what is available in Christ. Paul's argument is very simple. If Christ died for us, by the way, we're the all that were dead, right? He says, if, if Christ died for all, then all were dead. We were some of that all that were dead. 
So if Christ died for us, and when we were saved or received Christ as Savior, we actually died with him. We were buried with him through faith. And then when he rose again, we, in salvation, rise again unto the newness of life, which you can jot down for notes. Romans chapter 6 is a great passage that speaks to that reality, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Christ came. He died on the cross for us when we put our faith and trust in him. He awakens us from that death. He quickens us from that death, and he gives us new life in him because he died and rose again. So because of that, then we now living in this Christian life, now experiencing this new life, we should not live for ourselves, but for the one that died in our place. We should live for Christ. That's Paul's whole argument here in just these two simple verses. Because when you were dead, Christ died for you. And now that you're living, you should live in a way that reflects the one who died for you. So what does it mean to live unto Christ. We understand that in Christ, we have eternal life. We have eternal life. And by the way, I don't know if you're excited about having eternal life. Man, I'm so thankful that Christ died for me in my sin. And that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Not when I got myself cleaned up, not when I got my stuff figured out, not when I became a better person, but literally in the depths and disgust and nastiness of my sin, he came and he died for me. And he was buried and he rose again. The sinless lamb took on sin that we might be made the righteousness of Christ Jesus. We were given the righteousness of God. And so now when you leave this world and you step from this world into the next, you'll be before your savior and you will not hear judgment for your sin. You will not be cast away because you made a sin decision. All you will hear is welcome, son and daughter, enter into the joy and the rest and the peace of the Lord. Not because you were a good person or did good things but because you made a decision by faith through grace to ask your sins to be forgiven in Christ. He died for you and you have eternal life. You know what that means? Nothing can take your life from you in Christ. Now we might die physically, but what does Romans 8 tell us? Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Death, persecution, nothing created, Nothing in heaven, nothing in hell, nothing will destroy the love of Christ in your life. You are saved into the day of redemption. So because of that, we understand we have this eternal life that we will live with him forever. But what does it mean to live for Christ? We know we have eternal life unto Christ. We know we will leave this world and see Christ. But what does it mean to live for Christ? The reality is we live our days for his glory, not our own. We live our lives in a surrender of all of us to all of him. It's his will, not my will, that needs to be done. We understand that our safety is not our concern, but his. Because we have given our lives to him. He died for us that we might live for him. See, it's great to think about eternal life, but it's so much better. It's not just think about well, one day I'll, I'll be in heaven. One day I'll be with him and then I'll be living that eternal life. No, brother and sister in Christ, you can begin living your eternal life right now. And it just means, Lord, today is your day. I'm going to surrender for you. See, when we chase this counterfeit comfort, it reveals a spiritual shallowness where we think it's about us and we're not going into the depth of who God really is and who we can be in Christ. It's not about making our lives as comfortable as possible. It's about realizing that he gave himself for us and we can live unto him. 
See, it reveals our spiritual shallowness, but also when we chase a counterfeit comfort, it eliminates our need for faith. It eliminates our need for faith. When we build our lives around self and comfort, never risking anything for Christ, why do we need to pray and trust? Why do we need to pray and seek him? If we've built our lives around ourselves and our comfort and our abilities, then we don't need to pray and seek him because we have it all figured out. No, I, I know how tomorrow's going to work. I know how the day after that's going to work. I know how this is going to work. I'm taking care of this, I'm taking care of that. We've got everything figured out down to the, the, just the, the bottom line. And we don't realize, man, God calls us to so much more to risk for him. Now, I'm not talking about planning and preparing. We need to plan. We need to prepare. We need to be ready for those things. But at the end of the day, I don't live today in my ability. I live today through Christ. Because guess what? The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. I don't live unto me. I live unto him. So I need faith. I need to, to trust. And listen, if you've looked around your world today and you don't think you need faith, Man, we got to believe that he is God and he is in charge and he is working his plan and we trust in that. But so many times believers, we start eliminating that need for faith by trying to just figure it out ourselves. We make our lives as comfortable as possible. We never risk anything. When God moves, we silence that voice of the spirit. No, I'm not serving there. No, I'm not stepping up there. No, I ain't talking to that coworker. Nope, I'm not going to do it because that's not going to be very comfortable for me. Now, it's about me, so I, I'm not going to do that. But man, when we start surrendering our lives, even little by little, those conversations that terrify you to have with your coworker, to share your faith, when you surrender and you say, God, okay, I believe you want me to do this. And then you just pray, God, by faith, give me the strength to do this. And then he strengthens you. And you step out. And you start saying these words, sharing the gospel. And it's almost as though you're like, am I really doing this? Am I really saying this right now? Am I actually sharing my faith? And God begins to strengthen you. Because in faith, in Christ, he's giving you the words to say by this working of the Holy Spirit. You see, so often when we live our lives chasing this counterfeit comfort, we eliminate our need for faith. Jesus told us in the model prayer to pray for daily bread. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. I've always been amazed by that. Why only bread for today? Why only bread for right now? Uh, Listen, we're praying honest. What are we praying for? We want bread for what? The next 10 years. Give me bread for next week and the week after that and the week after that. And when I'm 50, I want some bread. So Lord, just give me all the bread now so I'll be secure in the provision and I can see all the bread and now I know I'm good. But if I got to ask for bread every day, that takes faith. That takes faith to believe that he's the same God today as he was yesterday. That when he gave me the bread yesterday, he'll give it to me today because he's the same God. He never changes. You see, the reason we want to pray for comfortable lives is because ultimately we think that gives us the most secure lives, which means I can touch it. I can see it. I know I'm good. But man, if God says, no, I want you to step out. I want you to risk some things for me. I'm not going to show you what it's going to look like. We've been studying on Wednesday nights, the life of Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And when God called Abram, he said, I want you to go to a land, go to a place that I will show you. And I love that. He doesn't say, go to this exact location. That's where you're going to end up. No, he says, I'm going to show you on the way where you're going. How many of us would like that call from God? Tomorrow morning. No, seriously. Imagine this. Before you go to bed tonight, you're praying. 
you know, and however you pray, if you go by the bed or whatever, you know. If you're like me, sometimes I start praying in bed, bad idea. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, you know what happens. You're like, in Lord Jesus, you're out, right? But maybe tonight as you're praying, God begins to move. And he begins to impress on your spirit. And you just know God wants you tomorrow morning to go. Seriously, imagine for a moment. Now, I'm not saying God's going to call us to that. The call of Abram is obviously a very unique, specific call for the whole redemptive purpose of Christ. But imagine for a moment he did that. Now, I know in church, what are we going to do? Mm, I'm going, brother. Man, I'm, uh, I'm going. I'm doing it. Praise God if you, if you honestly are at a point where you'd go, I'd go. But there's some of us. Can I be real for a second? There's some of us. Some of us, me. Well, God, I mean, does it have to be tomorrow? Can you give me a week? Let me just take care of these things first. Let me get this stuff squared away. Let me make sure this is taken care of, and then I'll go. See, because sometimes to walk with Christ, to really step out and walk with Christ, I said sometimes, all the time, it takes faith to believe that God is really who he says he is, that his word is really his word, and you really are in Christ, and he really does have the best interest and will for your life. You see, Jesus said, pray for daily bread. Could it be that Jesus was teaching us that we need to depend on the Father for all things? Even the bread we will consume today? One author said it well. We recognize by faith God as our provider and rely on him to meet our daily needs. Not only the obvious physical needs, even the less tangible needs. See, we go to him today by faith and we say, God, I need you to show me. I need you to walk with me. And then guess what? When he chooses not to reveal it in the moment, when he chooses to not show you, when, when you don't really know what God is doing, he doesn't have to prove anything to you. He's already giving you his word. We just go to his word and we say, God, I know you were good yesterday. I haven't seen it. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to step out because I believe you are good. Because if anything, I know that you died on the cross for me and were buried and rose again. And that's all I need. See, so many of us, we go to God and we go, God, if, if you do this, I'll do that. We make these deals with God. And God is saying, oh, I gave you my son. I, what else do I need to do to show you my love for you? And all we have to respond with is, okay, I'll live for you. I'll live for you. So as we understand this idea of counterfeit comfort, how do we then continue in this walk with Christ? Not chasing those things, but biblical comfort. We hold on to genuine comfort. We hold on to genuine comfort. Second Corinthians chapter 1. You're already in Second Corinthians chapter 5. Really go back just a page or two. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. We've got a few more verses we're going to look at this morning. And again, I pray this would be an encouragement to you. So we, we hold on to genuine comfort. We, we hold it tightly. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 3. Blessed be God and even our, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You see, we embrace divine discomfort 
which leads to comfort. It doesn't make sense humanly thinking and humanly speaking, but it's what the Bible recommends. When we realize that our call as believers are to be genuine followers of Christ, not hunters of our own comfort, we will begin to follow his lead no matter the cost. And when we do, when we make that decision, we are met with temporary discomfort and tribulations that will produce spiritual strengthening. See, what does Paul say here? He's writing to the church and he's saying, listen, when you go through those times of tribulation, those times of trial, there's a comfort that you have in Christ that the world cannot give you. The world cannot provide for you. We think the best comfortable life I can live is the removing of all tribulations, all trials, all hardships. If I can get rid of all of those, then I'll be comfortable and happy. God says, no, in Christ, there's going to be those hurts. There's going to be those trials, those tribulations, those difficulties. But yet in the midst of that, watch me comfort you. Watch me strengthen you. See, this is the beauty of John chapter 14 and 15 and 16. It talks about the spirit that would come known as the comforter. Do you know why God sent the spirit to indwell us at the moment of salvation? Yes, to equip us to do the work that he's called us to do. But he's also given us the spirit to comfort us because he's going to lead us into uncomfortable situations. We're going to follow Christ into areas that will make us uncomfortable. Tribulations and trials. As we said last week, our culture today, the world today, not the people in the world. They're not our enemies. We love them in Christ and we pray for them. But the world's way of doing things is contrary to the things of God and the word of God. And so as we preach the truth of the gospel, guess what? The Bible says that's an offense. And so as that offense is given, there will be persecution. There will be forms of hatred from the world to us. And so when we're experiencing that, whether in the world or, by the way, in our homes, some of you are followers of Christ and in your very homes or extended family, when you start talking about the things of Christ, you are met with hatred and anger and disrespect. And so for you, when Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. That means a lot to you. You recognize that. But your answer is not to avoid talking of Christ and to ignore those things so that you'll be comfortable. It's to say, God, I know you've called me to this to be a testimony here. So strengthen me to do this by faith and then watch the spirit of God comfort you as only he can. We don't quit. We don't back down. We don't surrender to the world. We surrender to Christ. I want to look at two passages. I'm going to read them this morning. I know we're getting short on time, but I want to read these. And I pray it'd be an encouragement to you. Some of them are familiar, or these may be familiar to some of you guys. Uh, But James chapter 1, we're going to look there first. That's page 851. James chapter 1, page 851 if you're using a Bible provided. But James chapter 1, I want to look at two, two passages here. Again, as an encouragement to us as we walk in this life, we don't quit. We don't chase the counterfeit comfort. We realize in Christ we have all the comfort we could ever need because he, as Paul says, is the father of mercies, the father of all comfort. James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and testings and trials. Count it all joy, he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Why do I have joy when trials and tribulations come into my life? Because I know as a follower of Christ, those things are going to strengthen my faith and produce a maturity in my life, a closer walk with Christ. And so I'm actually taking joy in these things. Talk about 
anti-culture, anti-the way the world looks at it. We don't take joy in tribulations. We try to avoid those at all costs. But the Bible says, no, as you walk in Christ and those tribulations come, don't run away from them. Don't run away from Christ. Don't quit. Don't compromise. But realize, no, in Christ I have a joy because these are working something. These are doing something in my life. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Go over there with me. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. Page 794 in the Bibles, in the chairs there. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. So the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul. And the book of James is written by James, which would be the half-brother of Jesus. He was the believed to be the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. As we read about James in the book of Acts, um, chapter 15, I believe, it talks about a James that was overseeing this council. We believe that's the same James that wrote the book of James. But these two individuals, Paul and James, heavily involved in the early church, active in the early church, but also faced persecution. Paul, we know, was martyred for his faith. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. Listen to how Paul says it. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. So we got James saying what? What are we supposed to do in tribulations? Take joy. Paul's over here in Romans 5 saying we actually glory in these tribulations. It says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience or endurance, experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Paul saying it, James is saying it. Listen, brother and sister, the goal is not to make our lives as comfortable as possible. The goal is to live in a way that would show Christ to this world. And when the tribulations come, we take joy. We glory in them. Why? Because it's building an endurance in us. Nobody gets to the point of running 12, 13 miles day one. Right? Nobody wakes up and goes, now I'm going to run 12 miles today. I would die a mile and a half in. I get tired driving 12 miles. Nobody does that. So if you want to run 12 miles, you start Where? Maybe one or two miles, right? You do that, get that going. Then what happens? Let me bump it up a little more. Bump it up a little more. And in surprisingly a small amount of time relative to what you thought, you're doing it. But why? Because you started where you were and then you built up that endurance, that stamina. Do you know what, you know what the Bible is saying here in Romans and James? That patience, that endurance is saying every time you go through a tribulation, you're getting by Christ working in you stronger, more endurance more endurance, stronger and stronger. And now you glory in those things. And here's the reason. Because when people go, man, look how strong you are. Like if I went through that, I'd be wrecked. You can step back and say, it's not me. Man, it's him in me. And it's just, what does Paul say? This is why, or one of the reasons why, the Spirit was given. So that we wouldn't be ashamed so many believers face tribulations and they're ashamed of Christ. They want to back away and cower back like Peter standing at the fire when the teenage girl said, aren't you one of them too? Don't you speak like them? And Peter says, I never, I don't know Christ. I don't even know who that is. See, he was ashamed because of the fear of tribulation. He knew if he said, or at least he believed if he said, yeah, I'm with Jesus, those guards would come get him too. And he'd be crucified next to Jesus. So his fear of tribulation led to shame. 
And I'm not picking on Peter because, by the way, we all do this. Because we want comfortable lives, easy lives. The reality is that we as believers should expect difficulties in this life. And discover deeper joy in those moments. Because those trials are producing a Christ-likeness nothing else can produce in our lives. Something God hit me with years ago. And I've been praying that I would more understand this every single day. God cannot answer your prayer to be Christ-like. While simultaneously answering your prayer to be comfortable in this life. God cannot answer your prayer to be Christ-like while simultaneously answering your prayer to be comfortable in this life. So we embrace divine discomfort. We embrace also the reality, and we've said this before, but just a kind of reminder, the reality that this isn't your best life now. This is not your best life now. Vodi Bakum, Dr. Vodi Bakum says it best. The only way this is your best life now is if you are lost and heading for hell for eternity. The only way this is your best life now is if eternity you will spend in hell. But as a follower of Christ, this is not our best life. If you think that, you have a very small view of heaven, a very small view of our God. This is not our home. And thus the suffering and discomfort we face will fade away in the light of his glorious face when we see him face to face. I'm just going to read it. Romans 8. 18 through 19 says this. Yet what we suffer now, so here's the reality. We suffer in this life. It's just a reality. There's discomfort, but we embrace it in Christ. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. I love that. And what we suffer now, just living for Christ and going through the trials, it is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Romans 8, 18 and 19. Man, what you suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in that day. And we wait eagerly and with anticipation and with excitement. It is so easy to give in and just let the world's idea of comfort and ease be our goal as a follower of Christ. However, the comfort that Christ gives is so much greater. Second Corinthians, we read that a little bit ago. I'm going to read it again. I want us to keep our minds fixed on the genuine comfort that only he can give. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. When we are comforted by Christ through his spirit, we are then able to be that comfort, that additional comfort to another brother or sister in this world. So I want to ask you just a quick question to apply before we spend a time in invitation. Have you been chasing the world's idea of comfort, focusing on self? The reality is by grace, you can surrender that today and find that he has a purpose and a plan for your life that's so much greater than you can ever imagine. I know what you're thinking, but you don't know me. You don't know my weaknesses. You don't know my inabilities. God knows you. He formed you in your mother's womb with great purpose and intent. He gifted you and blessed you just as you are. Don't try to be someone else. Be you. 
and let Christ rule and reign and watch him move you to places you can't imagine? Will you begin to pray for God to not only be your comfort, but also make you aware of a fellow brother or sister in Christ in need of comfort as they walk for Christ in this world? Let's stop being so critical of one another and let's be a comfort for one another. As they live for Christ, we pursue Christ's likeness and want to be a comfort for them. Would you pray with me right there where you are? We're going to have a short time of invitation. The praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. As they do, I'm just going to ask you to pray right there where you are. And the reality is, have you been pursuing comfort in your life over Christ-likeness? Is your goal in life to just live as comfortable as possible, to have all the things that you think you need to be happy and content? Or are you willing to say, Lord, these are blessings you've given me and thank you for them. Nothing wrong with them, but Lord, my pursuit is Christ-likeness. And if you call me to something else, you desire something of me, I will surrender all and give you what you ask. By faith, leaning on you for every single day. Maybe there's somebody here that is feeling the call to full-time ministry, feeling the call to missions work, to go overseas and preach to people groups or nations that need Christ. Maybe you're feeling led to be a church planner. Maybe it's as simple as just being a witness to your coworker or your neighbor. Whatever it is, I know it sounds risky, but I pray that you would know that when we step out, there might be a, a, a time where we're met with discomfort. But man, the comfort he gives is so much greater. So let's risk things for Jesus this week. Let's step out. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace that where we fall, you meet us right where we are. You forgive us and strengthen us. So I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to repent of any sin whatsoever that's between you and them, I pray they would do that, knowing that you will receive them and fill them with your spirit and use them for greater things than they can imagine. Father, again, we thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. Bless now this time of response. And I pray that we would just do what you're leading us to do, whether here at the altar, if we need to come and bend a knee and pray, or there in our seats. Father, thank you for this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we're led in a song of invitation, would you come? Maybe you want to come and pray. Bend a knee, seek him. Maybe there in your seats, would you respond to what he is doing this morning?